welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending February 9th, 2024. I'm Kim Hollis, who just found out you can summon a Moogle riding a chocobo in the new Final Fantasy game. I love that I knew all those words. (laughs) With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, hoping everyone enjoyed the Taylor Bowl. Whether you were rooting for the Taylors or the Swifts, I hope you had a good time. Remarkably, that won't be the only time we mention her during this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She may come up again. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who is putting on his running shoes. Kim, can I take my victory lap yet? Pretty soon. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who promises no more wrestling-themed Patreon content. What the heck, Raul? (laughs) lose all our subscribers guys cut it out (laughs) (laughs) this week disney looked at the big boost netflix got a couple of weeks ago and said hold my beer david okay here's your warning everybody i am coming in hot disney's earnings call was almost universally good despite the fact that it was a revenue miss and subscribers for disney plus were down by 1.3 million we're going to call that the taylor swift effect which you won't get for just a second unless you've been keeping up here's what happened disney entered this call in defensive as it's the last chance for bob Iger to make his case with investors before nelson peltz tries to push his way onto the disney board of directors by getting two seats one for himself and one for Jay Rasselow, who isn't really there as Jay Rasselow, he'd be there as Ike Perlmuter's Patsy. So Iger needed this. However, it turns out that Iger's one true skill in life is eviscerating Nelson Peltz. <laughs> there was a lot of wow within a 24-hour period. I mean, like, a lot. I have had a hard time keeping up with everything because there is so much I'm having to, like, detailed search, and it is just exhaustive. I mean, it covers so many different industries at once. We've never seen anything like this. Kim, people don't want to listen to my absolutely horrible voice when you have perfect diction. Will you please take a deep breath and read everything that Disney announced? Okay. Disney announced a new sports streaming venture with WBD and Fox that everyone is calling Sports Hulu. They also announced a $1.5 billion investment in Epic Games, creators of Fortnite and the Unreal Engine, which will quickly lead to a Fortnite-adjacent Disney realm. That won't make any money. They revealed the heretofore unknown existence of Moana 2, coming out in November. November. That's nine months from now. They announced that they'd outbid Netflix and Universal for the Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert film, which is coming to Disney Plus in March. They demonstrated that their streaming losses had slowed to a crawl. They announced a $3 billion stock buyback to ward off future pelts. They announced a significantly better dividend in June. They indicated that earnings per share will improve 20% this year. They stated that Disney will meet its $7.5 billion guideline for cost-cutting. And they confirmed $8 billion in free cash flow expected by the end of fiscal 
2024. Yeah, in my writings, I joke that this was a Mortal Kombat fatality, and I believe that. I stand behind that fully. In the past few weeks, I have noticed kind of a changing of opinions on whether or not Nelson Peltz had a chance. Some people were saying, well, maybe, possibly, I could see it if the things broke right. The things did not break right for him. This was flawless victory by Bob Iger. This was everything at once. I mean, I, I don't even know what you all want to talk about first. We've got video games. We've got a streaming service that doesn't exist right now, but should be here by the fall. We've got a theatrical release that's going to probably be one of the top five titles of the year we didn't know existed a week ago at this time. And oh yeah, we've got Taylor Swift. So Raul, pick your poison. We haven't even mentioned that they renewed uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians for season two. That's the one that got my kids excited. The fact that Iger was able to deliver all this in his rather bland monotone was astounding to me. I was trying to jot down notes as quick as I could. He started with Moana 2, which my reaction was, wait, what? That was not a project that we knew about and immediately went into Percy Jackson season two and the stock buyback, the increased dividend. This was very much Iger telling everybody to shut up and get out of his way. He knows what he's doing. And let's remember that Iger isn't only fighting a proxy battle with Nelson Peltz and his Trian group, but also a separate investment from Blackwell, who will tell you, oh, Peltz is nothing. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But put us in charge. We will break up the company, to which I have to say, if that is their pitch, when they go into the Disney investor meeting, they'll be lucky to get out of there alive. Disney has a massive fan base that are also investors in the company. And anyone who's talking about doing anything to that effect to the Disney company is bound to lose a fight against Bob Iger. Bob Iger showed up here and told everybody what's what, who's in charge. And at this point, I don't think anyone stands a chance against him. I mean, it's a month before the Taylor Swift concert movie, the highest grossing concert movie of all time in theaters, comes to Disney+. Plus. David, $75 million is going to Taylor Swift for that. Is that a smart investment? So that is exactly what Disney paid for Hamilton. And I'm going to just say it like this. I am stunned that neither Universal slash Peacock nor Netflix, especially Netflix, was willing to pay more than that for this product, which actually leads me to believe that maybe just maybe Taylor Swift said, I'm going to go with Disney. It's not a serious bidding war because that is chump change for the value that this brings. We saw what happened with Hamilton and its halo effect during the first year of the pandemic. This is that to the extreme. Disney actually made an unusual assertion, and I, I mean, my brain froze. When a CNBC reporter was first reporting the earnings, they said Disney Plus had lost 1.3 million subscribers. Now, that wasn't a surprise. We expected that because Disney did have the price increases during the quarter, and they were significant. They were the kind of, if you're not serious about being a Disney Plus subscriber, go away. It was that kind of price increase. But then, in the next press, she said that Disney forecasted adding 5.5 to 6 million subscribers in the current quarter, as in the right now. And I immediately was just like, what? No, there is absolutely no way that happens. And then they announced the Taylor Swift thing. Disney thinks 6 million Swifties will sign up just to watch the concert. Presuming that's correct. Disney's current average revenue per user, like the low-end one, they do a North American and an international one. If we use the international one, which is under $6 a user, they'll make back that $75 million by keeping those new subscribers for just 70 days. We're only talking a little 
little over two months is all they need to keep most of them. Like Hamilton, this was a brilliant investment. And Swifties, of course, were going to sign up if they weren't subscribed already. The hook is the streaming release will be the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, much like her re-recorded albums, with five new songs reformed, not included in the original theatrical or PVOD release. It is astounding how good her and her team are at this. Also, fun fact, do you know how much it costs to rent the Eras Tour on PVOD? 1989. Correct. <laughs> it it all comes together. She's this is this is a huge win for for Disney. This is this was just the tip of it. This was a huge victory lap for for Iger. And then we've got, you know, Sports Hulu and Roll. I'm going to tag you in for that because people are tired of hearing the sound of my voice <laughs> at this point. This was just an entire week for Disney that really happened within 24 hours because we got the Sports Hulu after the stock market closed on Tuesday. And then we got Disney's earnings report and these announcements at 4.05 on Wednesday. So within 24 hours, Disney fundamentally changed the course of its future. And that's not hyperbole. So Roll, what is Sports Hulu? Even before Bob Iger had gobsmacked everybody with all the announcements during the earnings call on Wednesday, the news had broken from the Wall Street Journal that Disney would be partnering equally with Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery to launch a new sports streaming service. It took us a little bit to wrap our heads around just what it was they were announcing, but ultimately it sounds like it's going to be Hulu for sports, a sports Hulu or a Sulu, if you will. Oh, my. <laughs> Content from ESPN, Fox Sports, and TNT TBS will be aggregated in this service. How that works for existing ESPN and ESPN Plus subscribers remains unclear, as does many other details, such as how much it's going to cost or what it's going to be called. But that's not going to stop us from uh, speculating. Yeah, as a matter of fact, analysts have been all over this. They're suggesting that the starting price is going to be at least $40, and many of them are expecting mid-50s. None of the people involved in this have actually stated a price yet. However, they have said that we can expect this during the latter half of 2024, and that is a shot off the port bow, because if you remember back to what happened at the start of the college football season this past year, right as ESPN was about to broadcast a very important football game, the first one of the year between two top five teams, Charter cut the cord. Charter said we are not going to air this programming because we have not extended our carriage fees with Disney. And we just mentioned last week, Charter paid mightily for that with its fiscal earnings quarter this past time. They lost money because they bet they could pin Disney down on that and they were wrong and they lost. Well, now Disney is future-proofing to make sure that they don't keep having these sorts of encounters with their licensing partners because they'd rather not have these showdowns over carriage fees. So they're creating a new thing where they're going to ensure they're still getting carriage fees for their expensive ESPN products. They're going to do it on their own. And the reason we keep mentioning Hulu is simple. This is how Hulu was started, was three of the four major networks worked together and they said, we're going to share content in a way that allows people to go to one spot and watch all of it because it was the early days of streaming and they wanted to do something that could actually satisfy most customers at once. And Hulu worked, and now it's worth, you know, X amount of dollars that we think is at least $25 billion, could be $50 billion, nobody's really sure yet. But it's worth a lot of money. This is the next iteration of that, and the thing is, it is not just targeting cable vendors either, is it, Raul? I mean, there are some random strays coming out here, aren't there? Well, first, someone should ask Jason Kylar what he thinks it's like to serve multiple different masters at Hulu. I'm sure he'll have some great things to say about that. 
First, almost immediately after this announcement broke, Fox had their earnings call and Lachlan Murdoch, who's at the top of Fox these days, was telling you that, no, no, don't worry. This is not going to siphon subscribers away from cable television. That is a concern that arguably a lot of the leagues would have. That is also the response that Warner Bros. Discovery gave when they announced Bleacher Report and started streaming the very games from the NBA and the NHL that they had on TNT and TBS. You would think that they probably need to make a deal with the leagues before they can start streaming those games online. And yet the leagues don't seem to be all that worried about this. In fact, this seems to be answering a lot of the questions we've had over time. One of the big concerns for cord cutters has been, I can't get my live sports. This service seems to be answering that. Here are your live sports. Other questions we've had had to do with ESPN and how ESPN is going to go over the top. And furthermore, there's been some speculation about how Disney might get the NFL to buy into ESPN. By launching the service, they don't need the NFL to buy ESPN. They just need the NFL to become a partner in this new collaboration. There would be some anti-competitive concerns if the NFL was actually a partner in ESPN, but not necessarily if they're a partner in this collaboration. This is starting to answer a lot of questions while also (laughs) creating new questions that are yet to be answered. Yes, although we did get an answer on one of them almost immediately afterward. Disney did go ahead and share its plans for what they're calling flagship. That is their attempt to go over the top in 2025. This is not that. Flagship will be an entity in and of itself, and it is still scheduled to come out during the second half of 2025. This will come out much sooner so that there is no chaos at the start of the college football and pro football seasons because... Those live sports games are the highest rated things on TV, so they matter the most. As you said, there are more questions than answers at this point, and I mean, we've got several ourselves. The questions we've got here aren't just about these companies, though, because Fubo actually had its stock dive a lot. Now, in terms of actual money, it was less than a dollar, but in terms of percentage of the stock, it was like a 30% shave overnight because of this announcement. Fubo and also Sling TV have been two options for people to maintain live sports while cutting the cord. They're looking at this now and going, this is an existential threat to us. Similarly, YouTube TV is looking at this and they're going, wow, we could lose all the customers who are getting 100 channels right now from us, but really only want the live sports. And then we have the fact that the cable vendors just heard the bell. This is their death knell. It really is. This is the end of what we have known as linear television in its existing sense. Now, it'll survive, it'll evolve, and it'll become a slightly different new thing. But this is the end of that. The three major companies that it kept in this business have just walked away from it. Let's actually go back to what we were talking about earlier with Epic Games. Disney is going to have a universe that lives alongside Fortnite and is completely interconnected. This is amazing. It's not just amazing, it's a perfect fit. And I think that that's the part of this that has been lost to a certain extent. A lot of people don't even know this, but Disney has been using the Unreal Engine for some of its more complicated special effects movies. For example, uh, Star Wars 
Rogue One used Unreal Engine. Now, it didn't just use that. There are a lot of moving parts with these CGI spectaculars. But you look at The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus; it is rendering backgrounds with the Unreal Engine. So Disney already had a relationship there. And then Disney developed this relationship with Tim Sweeney at Epic in 2017. He was part of the Disney Accelerator program. And since then, Disney has strengthened that relationship. And we have mentioned several times that at some point, Disney was going to get into gaming just like Netflix has kind of dipped its toe into the gaming field. This is a stronger commitment to that. We know that Disney already had nine different franchises that had earned at least $1 billion in video game revenue thus far. So we're talking about a way for Disney to make a lot of money in a way that is very, very casual to them. And so what's happened here is Disney has spent $1.5 billion and the information indicates that Epic Games has lowered its valuation to $22.5 billion in the interim, which means it's down from the last one. It had been uh, listed at $31.5 billion as its valuation during its previous funding round. So Disney's getting a bit of a deal here, and it now owns 9% of the company. I don't understand why the valuation has gone down, because Fortnite just had its best month ever in November 2023, thanks to Fortnite OG, which kind of proved that it's eternal, kind of like how Tim's beloved World of Warcraft just did the, um, what was it called, Tim? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, when they went to the World of Warcraft Classic, which is just basically back to the beginning before any all of the expansions, but with the modern day quality of life improvements that we're all used to today. And I didn't think it would work, but it, it totally worked. did. Right. And the same thing has happened to Fortnite. You'd think that it's weird that after six years, we're already it's getting still going. Fortnite. Yes. So it, it seemed quick to me, but people went nuts for it. There were 100 million people playing Fortnite in November. So I have no idea why the valuation is down. But for Disney, this is a fascinating time and a fascinating situation because you figure that with its ownership interest right now, Disney could buy the entire company for what should be somewhere between 18 and $25 billion, or they could buy controlling interest in the company if they wanted to go that way for less. So $18 billion, we're only talking about, you know, twice what they've paid for one-third of Hulu. That is a deal if Disney really wants to commit to video gaming. In the interim, we're talking about a virtual realm, very similar to, but we're not going to call it that, a metaverse, wherein people can shop for Disney digital products online in a Fortnite-adjacent universe filled with worlds for Marvel, Star Wars, Avatar. They showed all of them. So Disney feels comfortable licensing for the time being, but this is the ongoing debate for the intellectual property owners. Licensing is easier, but vertical integration makes more money over time, presuming it's done well. Marvel discovered this with its movies. Once it stopped licensing them to Fox, it did better when it owned the movies like Iron Man. With Disney, it's the Netflix debate all over again in a different medium. Disney's position there evolved over time. Some would even say that Iger has backtracked, but it has chosen to return to licensing to Netflix after previously describing it as arming the enemy. Disney clearly doesn't view Epic as the enemy and has developed a strong working relationship with them now. But this seems like a good time to mention that Yahoo once gave a break to a heroic search engine startup back in the day. It was Google. Friends become enemies very quickly in this business, but in the short term, a $1.5 billion investment for 9% of Epic Games, that is as big and resounding a win as Bob Iger could possibly manage. And that's on top of Sports Hulu. And then, oh, by the way, time for my victory lap. I have been telling 
telling you all that 775 million people have watched Moana. Tim goes through it every week when we do the ratings. How people just keep watching Moana. There was a Moana television series underway that was going to air during the second half of 2024 on Disney+. Plus, and they were so happy with it that they have repackaged it as a film. And while that might scare you and you might think, oh no, it's The Lion King 1.5, which used to be a thing Disney did a lot in the 90s. There's another scenario that played out much, much better. And that was when Disney didn't own Pixar, but they were meddling with Pixar all the time because they did the releases and they told them, hey, we feel pretty good about this Toy Story thing you're working on. Why are you making this direct to DVD? We think this could be a theatrical release. And a lot of people would claim Toy Story 2 is the best one ever. Moana 2 comes out in November. That is found money for Disney in the most important quarter of the year. And I think there is a real chance this is one of the three biggest films of 2024. And again, we didn't know of its existence a week ago. I love that we can still be surprised like that, even in, in 2024. Somehow they kept this a secret and just surprise Thanksgiving 2024, Moana 2. <laughs> My gosh. If you want to tie this back into the epic thing, I was going to use the term, even though you were like being uh, kind of sarcastic when you were saying it, David, but this is the metaverse that companies should want. In hindsight, I don't know why no one thought of this sooner, but combining Fortnite, which has shown some surprising staying power, and then adding in Disney universes, that's just brilliant. And that's the other thing about this when we talk about the vertical integration part. It would do Disney a world of good with its cost cutting if it owned the Unreal Engine and thereby wasn't paying somebody else for those privileges. So there are benefits to both sides of this. But what matters is Disney has just formed an alliance with somebody who can really help them in a lot of different ways. Yeah, uh, this sounds shockingly similar to when Disney bought MLB Advanced Media, also known as uh, BAMTech, essentially the streaming engine behind uh, MLB TV, and uh, turned it into, oh, right, Disney+. Plus. And yet, as Disney went from win to win to win, Warner Brothers Discovery went the other way. You don't say. Say it ain't so, Zaslav. Not a big story in the grand scheme of things, I suppose, but it shows the current state of Warner Brothers Discovery as attempts to save the mixed live action and animation movie Coyote vs. Acme appear to be on the verge of collapse. We've previously spoken about how Warner Brothers Discovery was going to scrap the movie that is finished like they've done with Batgirl, uh, but after a public uproar, they changed their mind and were going to shop the movie around. According to The Wrap, the studio stands to make between 35 and $40 million as a tax right down if they just erase the movie. While other studios have expressed interest in distributing the project, Warner Bros. Discovery wants between $75 and $80 million for the rights. And no one's offered that, that much. And time may be running out, as it's expected that a decision will have to be made by the time the studio has its quarterly earnings call at the end of February. So the clock's ticking. As we discussed when it happened, despite the presence of John Cena, David, this movie is apparently very good, as opposed to who knows with Batgirl. <laughs> so, and yes, as a Looney Tunes fan, especially Roadrunner and, and Coyote, I really hope it sees the, the light of day. But it's all business and just money to Zaslav, so who the hell knows? Yeah, this is just extremely disappointing to me because I also love Roadrunner and, and Wiley Coyote and, well, you know, Zaslav. And then finally, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred announced this week that the league is targeting 2025 for the launch of a new streaming service that would include in-market games. Hallelujah. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we said that Diamond Sinclair made Rob Manfred really, really mad? Raul, this is like 
the next level of that, isn't it? Well, the um, the bankruptcy proceedings for Diamond Sports and the Bali Sports Regional Sports Networks is wrapping up, and it looks like they may walk away with the rights to a handful of Major League Baseball games, at least in those local regions. But Major League Baseball has clawed back the rights to a number of teams, including the San Diego Padres and I believe the Arizona Diamondbacks. The ultimate goal here seems to me that Major League Baseball feels that their teams would be better served in house, very much in the same way that the National Football League handles the streaming of all their football games through the NFL Sunday ticket. So it seemed inevitable that the streaming service was going to materialize. The date is the news here. We knew the streaming service was happening. It sounds like they're going to be streaming most of the league's games and all for one price. So this is really what baseball fans have been waiting for, honestly, for some of them for a lifetime. All right, Tim, let's move into the ratings. Sure, we are looking at the Nielsen Stream ratings. Thankfully, they updated for us this week for the week of Monday, January 8th to Sunday, January 14th, 2024. Uh, the top show, once again, on the original chart, Fool Me Once, 2.4 billion minutes. I guess, no wonder uh, Netflix made that deal with uh, Harlan Coben. Obviously, although no one can remember any names of any of his shows because they're oh, so innocuous. Right. I, I assume he's got a lot of books, so sure. Harlan Coben's, hey, how are you? <laughs> I am generally excited about this uh, the set of ratings that we have. There are some things to talk about, but 2.4 billion is still really, really good, especially for just something that didn't, that, I mean, had a, I guess what you would assume is a niche, you know, fan base. Uh, Reacher is still here in second, 15 episodes, adding one a week through the month of January, 1 billion minutes, and that's on Prime Video. So no surprise, that's also been renewed for a third season. Let's remember that Nielsen uh, confessed a couple of weeks ago that they were not properly calculating Reacher's numbers through, I believe, this week in the ratings. And so I wonder if maybe we're actually going to see a little bit of a bump in those ratings next week when things get corrected. Oh, yeah, that'll be interesting to look for. Okay. Because yes, I, this one I know people are definitely watching. So yeah. Uh, the Brothers Sun, we saw that arrive last week from Netflix, 960 million minutes viewed for eight episodes for its first full week. Uh, but new and fourth from Disney Plus and Hulu, here is Echo, 731 million minutes for five episodes. It's an MCU series, but they put it on both Disney Plus and Hulu on January 9th and all at once too, all five episodes. Right. So there's a real chance this will be the only time that we actually see Echo, but that's a solid performance given the fact that it's only five episodes total. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel slash spinoff of Hawkeye, which definitely, which we saw before. That did well when, when it came out. Yeah, as a matter of fact, half of the first episode of Echo is just recut images from Hawkeye. No joke. Okay. okay. I think this is, of course, a, re- a reflection of the experimenting with the release pattern, the fact mm-hmm. that they dropped the, as Tim pointed out, all episodes at once, and they put it on both Disney Plus and Hulu. I do suspect, given the uh, perhaps not strong reaction by fans to the episodes of this series, if they had chosen to release them weekly, the audience would have dried up by about episode two or episode three. But if you have them all back to back, someone is going to commit to watching oh, watch well, the whole the whole thing. Yeah, yeah there all. they all are. Let's yeah. watch them all. Yeah. And it also ties in, throws in Matt Murdock as well. So it's it's just, you know, how everything is is connected. But the storylines and show crossovers are getting a little intertwined unless you've really been following everything to it to a T as to as to what ties in into where, at least just from from someone who doesn't follow it all that closely. But I, I think we'll see it next week. But I, I'm I'm curious to see what yeah how uh the, the binge method worked for for Disney Plus this time. But also it is interesting that they 
play through this on Hulu as well. I think yeah. it's still important to mention mention that too. Yeah, for sure. I think we'll, we might see it next week too. And also, I, I think this number is pretty amazing given that the episodes aren't an hour. They're probably closer to like 35, 40 minutes, unless you like insist on sitting through the entire credits, in which case it might be a full 40 minutes. So I, I think this number is Yeah, that's, that's impressive. pretty good. It says they ranged from 37 to 51. I don't know if that includes credits. Yeah, I think it but, does. But uh, so yeah, the, that's that's quite good. Yeah, we we, all, we always forget sometimes to factor in runtime of episodes. So like, yeah, an hour long show, say crushing it on a Required it compared to a half hour show, which you know, sometimes when those those numbers are bigger, we're like we forget that's only you know twenty two minutes because it was a broadcast show that had commercials. Right, I would compare it favorably to Reacher, if not for the fact that we know Reacher is wrong, so you know it's poison fruit. But just generally speaking, I don't understand why you're saying that about Marvel, Tim. I mean, Loki's a tree. How hard is that? <laughs> What? Wait. Oh God. Okay. I have to go back several several years of MCU stuff now. Okay. Right. Also from Disney Plus in fifth, Percy Jackson and the Olympian, six hundred eighteen million minutes for five episodes, and yeah, got a season two. You have to keep in mind on this one that it probably has a lot, a lot, a lot of second screen viewing that isn't being accounted for here. That's an excellent point. It apparently had a really big surprise in its final episode as well, which should sustain interest for uh, future seasons. And I'm still laughing at the fact that, you know, I wrote out a list of things for Kim and she read them off and we were sitting there and we were listening to the whole thing together. And Percy Jackson, I had forgotten because there are so many other bombshells. And yet for any other streaming service, this would be the story. I mean, if Peacock had these numbers, you would not shut up about it. But here we are where we're just like, yeah, and also that. So that's how strong Disney is at this moment. <laughs> well, speaking of Peacock, new in six, it's Ted. It's 542 million minutes for seven episodes. Uh, they all arrived on January 11th. So this is not the full week, not not quite the weekend, but like, you know, arrived on that, that Thursday. And that's really good. So I think it might do better next week. And I've heard this is actually better than you'd think based on, like, I saw the trailer. I'm like, wow, this just looks kind of stupid. I don't know why they finally made a series of this, like, 10 years later, even if the prequel to the movies, because now that's the 90s and, and you know, he's a he's a teenager. Uh, but yeah, there it is. It, it's better than, than, than it looks, apparently. Oh, that is excellent. Like we were joking when they greenlight, greenlighted this. We were like, uh, OK, right. sure. Right. Why not? But, you know, Seth MacFarlane is worth a lot of money for a very good reason. He can find the funny in anything. When did Ted premiere, Tim? Uh, the 11th. And I believe that AFC game where they promoted the hell out of Ted was on <laughs> what day again? Yes, the, the Peacock exclusive playoff game was that weekend, the, the 13th. Yeah, let's watch to see where Ted ends up on the ratings next week because I think oh, it could be a little maybe bit higher maybe than people number six. Who subscribe to Peacock just to watch a football game. Maybe they said, ah, screw it, we'll watch Ted. All right, yeah, good for Peacock. Have we literally ever said those words on this podcast before? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we compliment them on day and date because that's the one thing Univer uh, Universal MECU does 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 right. But, but that's about it, though. Uh, seventh the Crown, still here, 477 million minutes for 63 episodes. New and Eighth, Boy Swallows Universe, 386 million minutes for seven episodes. Uh, not a show about a Jimmy Eat World cover band. Uh, this is apparently an Australian show about like a coming-of-age series based on a book, apparently. That arrived on January 11th, so this is also just most of this, just the weekend. So might see it again uh, next next weekend. Ninth is You Are What You Eat, a twin experiment from Netflix. So we saw this last week, 315 million minutes for 
four episodes for the docuseries. And we wrap up originals with a show that's been here for a while, My Life with the Walter Boys, 10 episodes, 307 million minutes. Movies is led by a 2024 movie, thank God. Lift, 872 million minutes. Oh, Kevin Hart. Okay, right. The Kevin Hart, we're going to steal an airplane movie. Okay, yes. I, the, these movies show up, and then I'm just like, I'm like, I don't remember what this. And then, I, then we say the actor or the premise, and we're like, oh, right, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's because okay. they all have Harlan Coben series names. Yes, <laughs> they do. They just they have just the blandest titles. <laughs> oh, geez, yes. This, uh, yeah, arrived on January 12th, so this is just the weekend. Oh, 28% fresh Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Yes, that, the Netflix sheen just uh, wins again. Uh, Society of the Snow is second. We saw that arrive last week, 618 million minutes, first, first for a week. Uh, the Equalizer 3 uh, arrived on Netflix on January 1st. So it's still here, 487 million minutes, as did The Crudes, 458 million minutes in fourth. And the Mario Brothers movie has been around, hanging around for a while, 456 million minutes. This one's going to stick around for quite some time now that it's ne- at least as long as it's on Netflix, because at some point it'll We'll actually go back to Peacock. Uh, but new in six, The Single Moms Club, 447 million minutes. Well, new is in quotes uh, because it turns out this is a uh, Tyler Perry movie from 2014. Did it just uh, come well, back to Netflix? I can't tell. It did not appear to arrive on January 1st, along with a whole bunch of other movies, but I'm sure it's pretty pretty recent because I don't know why else would, would be here, and I'm pretty sure I'm not confusing it with anything else. But not not the strangest title we've ever ever seen uh, on these movies charts, and I'm sure that will happen again. Uh, but back to exciting titles in seventh, uh, new in seventh, Killers of the Flower Moon, 304 million minutes. This is Apple TV Plus, of course. After the theatrical run, the Martin Scorsese movie showed up uh, on Apple TV Plus on January 12th. So this is just a weekend, and of course, with its like you know ridiculous running time, you know that that obviously does help. But yeah, we don't see Apple TV Plus shows too often. But okay, I'm, I'm not surprised. It's Academy Award. It got ten nominations, so I wonder if that will actually may actually have a noticeable impact on streaming in a couple of weeks after we reflect those the nominations, which just came out recently. Yeah, I mean it is a Scorsese film, so I think mm-hmm. that being more of a known quantity may influence it. Yeah. Also, at 304 million minutes, three people probably three, watched three, it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that so, joke uh, right there is why I have not seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet. <laughs> Let me watch it, Cam. <laughs> we made the joke for Oppenheimer on what's new, but the advantage of this is on streaming is you can take several breaks because you probably need to because of how long it is. Uh, also new in eighth, role play, 284 million minutes. For this from Prime Video. This is a action comedy. Kaylee Cuoco. Ca- Kaylee Cuoco, yes. We are five minutes into this, and we are going to finish it someday. Yes, Kelly Coco and David Oyelowo. Basically, they decide to have a, a date night, and it turns out she's an assassin. Surprise! Well, this was just the weekend, so maybe we'll see it again. But Prime Video, mm, they tend to not do too great with their with their original movies. So uh, we wrap up movies with Elemental back on the list, two hundred eighty-two million minutes, and Barbie still hanging on from Max, two hundred fifty million minutes. Acquired is nine shows we've seen before, this time led by Bluey, 1.5 billion minutes. We've just watched the rise of Bluey during the course of this podcast. Meanwhile, you know, How the Mighty Have Fallen, Coco Melon is 10, 541 million minutes. So take that. Tim, I know you're joking, but I also think this is an important way to demonstrate just how much second screening matters in these conversations, because I would just like go nuts telling you, where is Bluey? Because 
Yes. Always number one. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't where is Louie? Where is where is the Simpsons? Yes. And we see the Simpsons occasionally, usually now around Halloween because people like to watch Trias of Horror. But yeah, you think it would be more ever present on on this chart. But yeah, I I also wonder if this is reflecting Nielsen able to capture more data from the non-Netflix services over time as that we've been doing this segment for what, you know, years now. It could be that they have fixed some of their most glaring holes and we're getting more accurate evaluations now. We should allow for that. And I've got three data points to throw out here along those lines. We know from Nielsen's most recent listing that Bluey was the second most watched show across all streaming services in 2023. It had almost wow. 44 billion minutes watched. The only thing that beat, beat it, I'm sure you'll guess, is Suits. So we've got that. And then that brings us to Moana, which they go out of their way to say they just don't understand how it can be this popular eight years after the fact. But here we are. That's why we're getting a Moana too, is because of what we've been saying and all of these, you know, whenever we talk about streaming ratings and Moana's there, that's the exclamation mark to it all of it doesn't make sense, but there's data that people cannot get enough of this. So Disney should feed people more of this. And along those lines, Moana was the fourth most streamed movie of 2023, even though it didn't appear until toward the end of the year. It was just the final quarter, which means that it'll probably finish in the top five again this year, which means we will probably at some point get an Elemental 2 because the data is supporting it. Mm hmm. Uh, we do have one new show on the acquired chart to mention, and it comes in in fourth. This is Louder Milk, 30 episodes, 846 million minutes. Uh, this is a show that arrived from where it was previously on January 1st. It actually appeared in 2017. It is Ron Livingston as a former music critic and substance abuse counselor. Okay, so yeah, just not living his best life. But I do have a two-part question. What streaming service was this on before January 1st? And also, what network was it on originally when it first premiered in 2017? Two seasons were made for a different network, and then it was on a streaming service for the third season, and then Netflix has scooped it up and turned it into a hit because they just love Netflixing over everybody. So it premiered in 2017 on something called the Audience Network, which was an AT&T <laughs> thing. I guess we're all new. Oh, you, I roll, you, you're familiar with what that was? I don't think I've ever heard of it. Okay, okay sure. Whatever that was. They aired the first two seasons. They renewed it for a third and then shut down and Amazon Prime picked it up. And then as of January 1st, Netflix acquired all the rights to all three seasons and there it is crushing it unacquired. And I saw people talking about it like it was a new show and I went to look it up when, you know, the first week or two of the new year and I'm like, what the hell? Because it's- I did the same thing. I'm like, what is this? What is this show? We didn't show? talk this about this and right. what's new. Yeah, and nope, it's several years old. There's actually the the third season ended at the end of 2020. So of course, but that's just Netflix for you. Whatever you got, we can make it a hit if you didn't. I mean, it's Ron Livingston and Will Sasso, so it's pretty much direct targeted to Kim and me. <laughs> 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. That is excellent for a television series. I, this You're kind of blowing my mind right now. Uh, so yeah, that, that was a pretty... Fun week uh, of ratings. I think we had representation from pretty much every streaming service because we got an Apple TV Plus movie. We got a Peacock television show. So yeah, I like when that happens. Let's keep it up. It's a fun time to talk about these ratings right now. Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, it was revealed that Ratched, the series telling the story of the nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and starring Sarah Paulson, will not be getting a second season. 
the series originally received a two-season order from Netflix, but season one aired back in 2020. That's four years ago now, and nothing's been heard about it since. Netflix never officially confirmed that it was canceled, but Paulson Brooklyn News to fans on Twitter this week that there would be no second season. No wonder I forgot this existed. 2020. Yep, that was a lifetime ago. The Queen's Gambit showrunners will be running a new show at Netflix, Department Q, based on a popular series of novels. And it will star Matthew Good, one of my favorites, Chloe Peary, and Kelly McDonald. It seems to be a kind of uh, police procedural or detective series based in uh, Edinburgh. So make sure you have your subtitles on. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have some Tubi news as the streamer will be bringing back the cult favorite Winona Earp for a new special. I love you, Tim Rosan. What? You heard me. Tubi, of all places, gets Winona Earp's conclusion? (laughs) Why not the audience network? (laughs) Only because they don't exist anymore. As always, we wrap up the show with what's been keeping us busy, and I am almost done with a book called The Long Way to a Small, Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. It is fantastic. I guess you could say it's a space opera. It has a crew that is working together to punch tunnels that people can travel through in the universe. And there are all kinds of sapients, as they call them, in this universe. So there's humans, but there's also many, many other beings that exist. And they're all together on that ship. Also around the world, this is the first in a series. I will be immediately reading the others. It's just terrific. I cannot recommend Becky Chambers enough as an author. Tim, how about you? All right. So welcome back to the Streaming Into the Ring podcast. I'm your host, Tim, and I'd like to thank our sponsor. Uh, I'm getting a a note here. We don't have a sponsor. Anyway, depending on your point of view, professional wrestling right now is either amazing or, if nothing else, incredibly interesting. Between the Black Cloud slash Sword of Damocles hanging over WWE's head right now, the thing that's happening with the company in the real world, the thing with The Rock, not the other thing, uh, is now spilling over into the product. And they had a WrestleMania kickoff press conference for some reason that happened this week, despite WrestleMania not happening until April. And they either took the audience reaction with what was supposed to happen to heart and changed it, or they successfully worked everybody as we now know that Cody Rhodes will indeed be facing Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, which apparently made The Rock go full heel, which is the reaction he had been getting from the crowd as soon as people realized he was taking Cody's place. You know, he showed up and everyone was cheering. And then when it he seemed like taking over, everyone's all of a sudden turned on him. So good because the internet is nothing if not snarky. People were actually tweeting the WWE shop account saying like, they ordered a Cody Rhodes shirt and received a Rock shirt instead. And four customer service people had to take it seriously, which is very funny. Uh, I mean, it's wrestling, so we can never rule out the idea that they are working us all along. But I'm definitely leaning towards the idea that they audible to the correct match. And now hopefully they follow through with the right ending. I, I mean, it's everything's not perfect, but the road to WrestleMania is really on fire right now. And despite all the turmoil behind the scenes and I guess in real life, the product is actually as good as it's been in a long, long time. I know that breaks David's heart to hear, but I still think it's true. It's more adorable and you sit on a throat of lies. They just had one of their worst weeks ever last weekend, and I don't mean anything behind the scenes. I mean the yes. product. They're having to improvise within a week, because that's how bad last Friday was, and you're saying it's the best ever. Those don't align, Tim. <laughs> 
All right, but wait, there's more. Over in NXT, they had their Vengeance Day premium live event last weekend, and we finally got the payoff to the long-running story between Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, with our hearts being ripped out as after Trick lost his match to NXT champion Ilya Dragunov, Melo attacked him and got some of the biggest heat I've ever seen. We all knew it was coming, but it just it just hurt to watch. Hayes is, of course, incredibly talented and a better wrestler, but Trick Williams, this guy just has a way higher ceiling, in my opinion. He came in as Melo's hype man, but he's just super improved as a wrestler and has the charisma, and I think this guy could be an absolute big star in the future or maybe people just like chanting whoop that trick which means not a lot of people saw hustle and flow also a really good women's match with women's champion lyra valkyria and roxanne perez who's only still just 22 and i think will be an absolute superstar in the future nxc did have a rough patch for a bit but they're doing much better right now and is just worth checking out meanwhile AEW, not everything is working but the stuff that is absolutely is holy cow like the literal blood feud between hangman adam page and swerve strickland has now apparently somehow successfully resulted in a double turn and now a three-way match with Samojo at the pay-per-view. How'd they pull that off? I have no idea. I don't know, but it's perfect. And Hangman and Swerve are magic together. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I have really seen this happen since we have to go all the way back to Bret Hitman Bret Hart Stone Cold. Yes. Stone Cold Steve Austin, which happened in one match, but they pulled it off. That was exactly what was accomplished this Wednesday. And if you had not mentioned it, I was going to because it was that staggering a thing. And let me just tell you, the best part is Hangman is right about everything. And he's going to be able to present that argument at a later date. And it's going to be perfect. But these two, I I looked at Kim after that match and I told her if they wrestled tomorrow, they could have an equally good five-star match. They're just perfect together. And that is so rare in wrestling. I mean, that is like, we have to go all the way back to like, you know, Ricky Steamboat versus Macho Man Savage to find people with this much chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Um, it is yeah. it is That's Rock the, versus Steve Austin. Yeah, that is one of the hardest things to do in wrestling. You have to be very careful because if it doesn't work, you're screwed, but it did. For those not wrestling, both guys basically switched alignments by the end of the match. It's harder to explain in more context, but it essentially is what happened. But, I would have thought it was absolutely impossible to get AEW fans to boot hangman adam page but swerve is so good that's exactly yes that was the next words out of my mouth that's how good swerve is Mm -hmm. yep so yeah there's there's that Tim, Uh, to a small extent i'm glad you're getting to see this because i would ask you when you would talk about nxt how's swerve doing and you would just be like oh i i don't know i guess i mean he's, he's he's there he was every time he was on he was good like I knew this, this guy, I was like, this guy is going to be something. This guy's good. And then, you know, of course it was the previous regime where, you know, they just stick him with other black guys and then they, if they fired them all, you know, so. So, of course, he really went to AEW and became a star. And that's why I could never support that product. But anyway, he is home in AEW, and it is going to lead to him being champion sooner rather than later, and it's Mm -hmm. been perfect. Yep. The Timeless Tony Storm gimmick is one of the the funniest thing in wrestling right now, just up there with with what R-Truth is doing whenever he's on screen in WWE. Just her mannerisms, her phrases. She's playing a Hollywood starlet, and it is hysterical. Anytime she's on screen and she's not wrestling a match, she's in black and white. It is outstandingly done. Like, she will make Jane Mansfield references. Yes. She makes time-appropriate ones <laughs> as if she really thinks it's 1962, you know? Yes. Yes. Has she always been this good and just they didn't let her 
set a character because wow she's doing the best thing she's ever done in her career and i mean it, you remember all nxt could do with her was put her in a backwards hat right some people are just really <laughs> kind of hard to quantify and let me just say all this is happening organically and it's our way of torturing raul who actually said hey i'm gonna release this as a patreon only thing last week and we didn't believe him so ha yes right exactly and yes just just this past week they gave sting the tag team titles and, and now nicholas and matthew the evps will probably take them from him and his partner darby Allen in what's going to be sting's final match next month and then of course brian danielson while i'm really worried about his health in the long term he's just having ridiculous dream match after dream match with people i've never even heard of and it's, they're just bringing in these luchadors from mexico and and they're just doing ridiculous things like it's mm-hmm. wrestling in general is just it's so good right now it's worth watching yes both AEW and wwe uh yes this has been streaming into the ring and i've just been informed this segment will never happen again <laughs> oh and i am just so here for matthew and nicholas but you know i'm a huge mark for the bucks david how about you so I figured you wouldn't talk about it because you were going to let me, but Kim and I watched a movie we really loved. We watched Tetris, and I know that not everything we saw in this film was true. They made a conscious decision to include all of the people involved with the creation and the, I don't even know, the superstar ascent of Tetris to make sure it was as realistic as possible. But past a certain point, they also added, you know, scenes from Gotcha, if you remember a 1980s film, uh, where they definitely leaned into the fact that it was a Cold War storyline and they wanted to have some fun with it. But just in terms of what it took for Tetris to become a worldwide success, that story is so fertile and it was told in such innovative flair by director John Baird. I I loved everything about it. And I I know that I've said this before, but Taron Edgerton, he has kind of this nerdish quality that really works to his advantage because he is every man and he can play anything. And so if you want to make him a Dutch guy who discovers Tetris at CES and decides, hey, I can turn that into a thing, he will do it and he will do it brilliantly. I love this film. And Kim, you were right there with me, weren't you? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I felt like it had its heart in the right place. Just a lot of fun. And yes, I just seem to be here for anything Egerton does. It is 81% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a stellar score of 7.4 on IMDb. It is very well regarded. And like I say, with an Apple TV Plus subscription, you can and should watch it if you're a gamer. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 